Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 35. The crew is here. What's up, Richard? Hey, guys. What's going on? Not bad. Not bad. Uh, Seth, as always, how how are you, man? (laughs) I'm doing good, guys. So before we get into the cast, uh, we had Corbin on last week. We alluded to the final fa- or the fantasy football uh, rather uh, <laughs> league. So it was a dream crush. Uh, you almost you almost made it, Seth. So close. One point. Uh, One it was very, point. Very disappointing. Uh. Yeah. So there was it was an interesting week for us uh, in the league. Um, I yeah. Well, we'll see. It, it, I'm going to be crawling along all season. So, yeah, blew up a lot of my team, but, you know, I'm not going to waste too much time on it. Um, so, Magic, uh, we have more Battle for Zendikar spoilers that we will take the time to talk about a few specifically. I wanted to ask Seth and Richard, now that we've had uh, more spoilers since our last cast, what they think about the set, if it's changed at all. Uh, and then we'll go into, so we have GPOKC. We have a little bit of legacy talk, price movement, and then the spoilers, and a couple fish mail questions. So a lot on the docket. I will open it up. Uh, so since the last cast, and we've we've had more spoilers, has your view changed on Battle for Zendikar, Richard? Yeah. So I don't think so. I, I think the the way the spoilers are sequenced. So um, Kiora and Obnixilis were spoiled by accident. They were leaked somehow. So all of the good stuff came first, right? We we got the expedition expeditions, we got most of the full art lands, uh, we we got enemy man lands, and then so this past week we've had like limited fodder and like a bunch of bulk rares and mythics. We have some exciting cards which we'll talk about, but this week hasn't been too exciting. So a lot of people are on the kind of the downturn and are kind of bummed out about Battle for Zendikar, but. At the end of the day, we still have all the cards from the first week of spoilers, and those are still exciting. So uh, I, I signed up for pre-release uh, this week, so I'll be going, and I'll be hyped. So I'll, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to crack my foil basics, my foil full art <laughs> basics, or uh, if You're... I'm lucky enough, an, an expedition. Ooh, yeah, that would be <laughs> very interesting. Be some crappy slow land, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Better than nothing, right? Um, Seth, what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts? I just don't know why they spoil sets like this. I mean, why why dump all the good stuff on the first, like, two days and over the PAX party and then give us two weeks of limited fodder trickling out? Like, I don't get it. Like, I'm not any less excited about the set because I understand, like, they tend to do this every time and spoil all the good stuff first. But I could see if you don't understand that that's what they do, this would be kind of disappointing, like, to see new cards every day and have them be kind of, like, meh. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's just kind of the way, you know, it's all marketing, and they're marketing these sets, and I I think they kind of found this formula that, you know, they they get our interests, they, they hook us, and then they kind of show us some, some junk and then they hook us back in um with some better stuff towards the end. So, I mean, it was it's kind of been weird over the course of the few years, you know, you have a lot of good stuff and then you'll have like Deathrite Shaman spoiled on the full spoiler day <laughs> and no one no one talks about it. Um so that that hasn't happened too much, but I'm not sure we're going to see that in this set. Uh but uh, there is, st- I am still excited for it. There's still a lot of decent cards. 
you know, and I got to say, like, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to come at it from a player. And then uh, somehow, sometimes like my finance side kicks in and like, I get super excited for a card and I'm like, you know, well, damn, that's, that's just, that could have been good, but you know what? It's ultimately going to end up like a dollar, less than a dollar rare because of these expeditions. And, you know, I, maybe that's like kind of tempering everyone's expectations too, because of these expeditions and not even coming from a financial standpoint. But so I'm trying to like kind of, you know, cater to both sides of myself, but from a, as a player, I I am interested. Um, Some of the limited fodder that wouldn't normally impress me actually is kind of impressing me just to touch on it for like real briefly. And we'll get into more specific spoilers later. Like the retreats seem decent enough as uncommons, you know, maybe they won't be super constructed playable, but they're not completely crap. Like even the, the, common cycle of lands is pretty exciting for just being a common cycle of lands. So there is some stuff here and there, uh, but we'll talk more specifically about them. So um, is that kind of affecting you guys too? Like the whole expedition thing or you, you try to fight off the the urge to just think expeditions is going to make everything not seem super awesome. Yeah, well, I evaluate the cards as a player, and the expeditions right. don't even become a factor, right? I mean, I guess you could be super lucky and limited and get better mana fixing, but for the, for the <laughs> most part, it doesn't do anything, right? Right, so, right. The one thing I did notice is I haven't seen any legacy staples, or not staples, but playables. Usually we see a couple of cards that look like they could be legacy playable, or, you know, there's like Days Undoing or something, like some splashy mythic that everyone, like, sets up, Narset even if they're totally wrong, but, they, you know, they at least sit and have that discussion. We haven't seen any cards like that so far. So that, I think, is putting a little damper on the party as well. Yeah. But, I mean, you should be used to that by now, right? No, you I get mean... one or two. You get, usually you get a card, <laughs> right, but right. you usually get to ask the questions. This time there's, like, no card worth asking so far. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, Seth? Yeah, I don't... Honestly, like, except for thinking of the math and, like, the EV aspect of Expeditions, like, I've kind of forgotten about them. I know that the odds of me actually opening them at pre-release or during a draft are so slim that I kind of just push them out of my mind unless I'm specifically thinking about the financial aspect of the set. So that's where I'm at as far as the Expeditions are concerned. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. Uh, So... Coming from everyone's player perspective, we're all still on board with uh, Battle for Zendikar. So, um, over the weekend, a fairly big uh, GP happened. Uh, modern, it, it was modern, so GP Oklahoma City. Uh, a lot of stuff kind of shifting and a lot of moving parts because people uh, want to try and get in on some cool decks. Uh, Landry Control taking. T- took the GP down by Zach Elsick. Boy, I hate that deck. I, I really, <laughs> I really hate it. It's really not fun. I don't. That re- deck's I, you awesome. know, it's not really though. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's good. You can win with it, but like, I really wouldn't even ever have any fun playing it. I mean, fun does have to factor somewhat, but I mean, it's really not even like. I just don't know. I, I just hate it. I wish it will go away. But uh, there was some some good matchups. The top eight was very good. Um, so 
what did you think of the uh, event overall, Richard? Beats me. I didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I should because I'm going to start playing Modern this week, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. What's so bad about Lancer Control? As Seth said, not neither either or both players don't have to enjoy it <laughs> to be a good game of Magic. I guess so. <laughs> you just grind it out, right? Do you think you'll sure. actually get the band, though? Like, it'll go the way of A? No. No? It's not like, it's not like something you can't stop. You know, like, eggs was, once it started going, like, it, you really just, it's over. Like, the Lantern Control, yeah, it is kind of like a, it's like any other um, Prism-type deck, like smoke, like stacks. You know, it's not fun, but there is ways to get around it. It's not really a Control deck, it's more of like a Prism deck, to be honest. That's and what I, I mean, mean. It gives you false hope that you could actually get out of the lock, but you actually cannot. <laughs> right. Well, it, the big problem with eggs, too, is that it took, like, 40-minute turns. Like, you had opponents that would just... Like, Kibler literally wrote F6 on a piece of paper and went and left the game while his opponent was comboing off, like, on camera. Like, this isn't like that. This is still, like, a normal game of Magic, so I don't think it's going to get a ban just for that. Like, it's I don't think it's nearly as oppressive or depressing to play against as Eggs was. Right. Yeah, that, that's, my, that's my thoughts on it, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I really I, – I like the tournament. It's good that, you know, Modern kind of comes in and out, and we get to see new stuff um, trying – you know, looking through the deck list. So the top eight, we have Lantern Control, Splinter Twin by – BBD, he got second. Congrats. Uh, then we have Affinity, Elves, Amulet Bloom, Merfolk, Scapeshift, and a... Uh, they're calling this Burn, so it's kind of like a zoo-ish... No, this this is the actual Burn list. Okay. Um, I didn't know which list it was. Um, there was something different about the Scapeshift deck. No, not the one that top eight it, but there was one that ran Dark Petition. Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, it was like a Jund version of Scapeshift. I'm trying oh, to find it. Well, while you're looking for that, got to mention Steve Rubin in 14th place with Return to the Ranks, Abzan Ascendancy, like <laughs> <Yeah>. combo deck. <laughs> it was really oh, fun that, to watch. That deck's awesome. It's like Aristocrats. Uh, or similar to Aristocrats, where you kill with Blood Artist and Vasira Seer, but that deck looks so sweet, and I wish he had made the top eight, because I think it would be getting a lot more hype this week. Like, if he hadn't, he must have missed, like, on Breakers or lost his winning in. He was really close and put up a really good performance with that deck. Yeah, it's not the first time we've... I've seen this on a couple Moto dailies, and it kind of sparked a little bit of hype, but I think this deck is very on the cusp. It looked good enough that it could, you know, become a thing. Yeah, I so, think that Just from watching it. I think there's a shot, yeah. I didn't get to see a whole lot of the tournament, but some of what I did see was Steve Rubin playing the stack, and it looked really sweet. So I'm excited to test it out on Magic Online this week, hopefully. Yeah, I can't... If if you're listening and you can find the Scape Shift list, I am not... I don't think he made top... I don't think he made it this far, but it was really interesting. I, I'm pretty sure it was a Jund uh, scapeshift list. Oh, wait, that it's, was... 
Is it the the twenty eighth place? The twenty eighth place list is playing Quicken and Ugin along with Corsair and uh, Snapcaster. Yeah. I don't think it, that's definitely different than the typical uh, escape ship li- escape ship list. So maybe that's what you're thinking of, but it's not John. Yeah. It's still rug, but this is definitely not your typical escape ship list. Ugh, I can't say that today. <laughs> escape shift list. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I if you if if you could find the list, post in the comments. Um, it was still really interesting. So there there is some interesting stuff going on here. Uh, the overall uh, enjoyment of this, uh, despite Lantern Control winning the tournament. I really like the GP. Uh, I think we have a lot to think about uh, in terms of modern when modern season starts kicking back up again. Uh, there was an actual grinder, uh, a buy grinder. Okay, so here it is. I found the uh, grinder winner. Thank you, uh, Wizards, for really making your site pretty much impossible to navigate. Uh, so Christopher Gooch with uh, Jeskai four Mantis Rider, four Lightning Angel, and four Honor the Pure. So I'm not saying, like, this is the next Jeskai, you know, deck list that everyone's going to start using, but, I mean, winning some buys for, for a GP with this list, I'm I, this is really interesting. I haven't seen Lightning Angel in quite some time. Uh, it's been a long time since uh, Apocalypse uh, Standard. But I think Mantis Rider even being considered in Modern is... Good news for Mantis Rider. So, yeah, that's pretty spicy. I really like the curve of uh, uh, Mantis Rider into Lightning Angel. That's uh, pretty sweet. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, again, all around it was it was really interesting. Uh, but uh, let's move on. So we had a Star City Games Open. I don't really think we're going to touch too much onto it because everything's rotating. So, but to note just real quickly, um, so Stephen Hicks, second place. I just want to touch on this Jeskai Temple list because not a lot of this deck is rotating. Like, very little of this deck is rotating. And this seems like a very good deck to start off uh, new standard with. I mean... Four Jace and four Mantis Rider and a couple of Ojitais. I mean, I mean, sign me up. <laughs> that already seems like pretty good. Yeah, well, take open up the third place list too. The Abzan Agro. I think there's a really interesting debate uh, for week one in the new format. Which one of these decks you pick up? Because that one hardly loses anything either. So I, I think there's going to be a battle. Like if you're looking to just add a few new cards to a deck you already know is good, either one of of Abzan Agro or Jeskai Tempo is probably the place to start, unless you want to play Mono Red, uh, which is always playable in week one of every format. But <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I have to say, like, this is just a lot of stuff that's not rotating. But there are there has been a good amount of spoilers. Again, some will talk about that will might change this landscape entirely. So, um, yeah, so I guess uh, we can get right to that. I mean, GP OKC was really big, uh, but there was something about legacy that you guys wanted to touch on before we get to the spoilers. So, um, what'd you guys want to talk about? (laughs) Uh, Jace in legacy again. Yes. So 
Yeah, this week, uh, the Doctor of Passwords, Richard Shea, uh, showed up to the legacy. He is literally, he has a doctorate in passwords, so that's, uh, that is literally what he is. Um, <laughs> I learned that watching uh, Vintage Super League, so you never know what you'll pick up from Randy if you uh, tune into <laughs> Vintage Super League. Uh, but yeah, he showed up to the Legacy IQ uh, playing a Grixis control deck that looks super sweet with a copy of Jace, uh, Bryn's Prodigy, in the main deck. So, Richard, what's your take on Jace and Legacy? Uh, I don't know. People keep trying them. We've seen them show up in a couple shells. Reanimator, Grixis Control. Um, he's two to cast, so he's pretty cheap. Um, but he's only a one of in this list. That signals to me... Uh, you know, they're just testing with him. He pitches the force of will in a pinch, so the, the, <laughs> the cost is not that bad. <laughs> so, uh, if you see a single blue card in a force of will brainstorm deck, I wouldn't put too much stock on it, but it is seeing play. And, um, you know, we're, we're several weeks and months past the, uh, Origins release, and the fact that he's still showing up means, you know, people are convinced, or at least kind of convinced that uh, he's here for Legacy, because he keeps showing up. So, uh, I think we'll keep seeing him. Now, how much of him we'll see is up for debate. We we haven't seen any really many decks run him as a four of. It's usually been two or one. Um, but, like I said, he pitches the Force of Will, so... The opportunity cost of playing him isn't that bad. Like, if you're desperate, you could just brainstorm him away or force a will. Um, the other thing, the other interesting card in this list, though, which I just saw right now, is Coligan's Command, showing up in Legacy here. Also, a one of uh, does not pitch to force a will, so it, it, <laughs> it's you know it's it's in here for a good reason. Um, so I, I, that's actually pretty interesting, and uh, so we're seeing. You know, random cards show up in Legacy, so that's always exciting. So, I was half joking with Richard before the cast actually started. Is this uh, could this somehow start getting close to Jace the Mind Sculptor, Richard? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. Like, you're, yeah, that's kind of what what you said. After but... we talked about it, like price wise, like maybe because he. Like, if he takes off with Modern, then that could be it, like, between Modern and Standard. But in terms of power level and Legacy, um, you know, if if the format were any slower, you'd see a lot more Mind Sculptors. But 4 is a lot. It's kind of like a, maybe a 6 or 7 drop in Standard. You can't just jam, like, a bunch of 4 drops in your deck and get anywhere. So that's the reason why you don't see Jace dominating. Um, control decks, the only control deck is Miracles. And Miracles plays uh, a lot of Mind Sculptors. But everyone else, just, they're Delverless. They don't they don't even get to four mana, right? So that's why you don't see a lot of Jace the Mind Sculptor. And, you know, Rin's Prodigy is for slower decks. So you're not going to see him jammed into Delver decks. You'll see him jammed into uh, either combo decks or slower control decks. And I can't imagine you trying to play four of them. So power level-wise, I don't think he's as strong as Jace, but... He might just get played a bit more due to the curve. It's kind of like Delver versus Jace. Like, yeah, they're both powerful, but one's a one drop and one's a four drop. Um, but, you know, if he if he shows power in modern, maybe we, we are in for a $100 uh, Jace Vrin's Prodigy. And the fact that he's not going to get reprinted anytime soon is also a big factor. Whereas uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor could get reprinted uh, in some, some yeah. product. Um 
but you know who who thought we'd be here right like uh when when jace was spoiled i thought he was crap right a lot of a lot of people uh, thought yeah. he was bad but now here we are discussing uh mind sculptor versus Vince prodigy so <laughs> very interesting i mean i was right there with you man i loved him from the start <laughs> yeah, I was totally. I was the one telling all you guys by Jace, remember? I think I wrote an article about it saying how good <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, gave him a PhD right out of college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Select, selective memory. That's really like the well I can always go back to and just keep pulling from it. I mean, it's just perfect. Yeah, I really you, you couldn't have given me a, a better <laughs> substance to go back to. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's perfect. It really is. Um. So let's talk some spoilers, Richard. Let's let's do some spoilers. All right. So, so we Very had a, a mediocre, mediocre week of spoilers. So we we picked out a couple to keep it short because we want to talk about some finance stuff this week. But uh, we'll start off with Crumble to Dust, Three in a Red, The Void. Uh, the sorcery. Exile target non-basic land, searches controller's graveyard, hand, and library for any number of cards with the same name as that land and exile them. Then that player shuffle his, shuffles his or her library. So is this the end of Tron? Yes or no? No. Is this the end of Tron? <laughs> no, but I see Tron could use something like this. I mean, in the in the mirror, I think this is better than... Well, all right, so let me – I think this will see more play than Sowing Salt. I think this is good for Tron decks to use in the mirror because you can tutor it up with Ancient Stirrings. Uh, no, Seth, this is not the wasteland you've been hoping for, <laughs> but uh, I think it's serviceable, and I, I do really like this card. This makes Oblivion Sower seem a lot better than what – everyone was envisioning. Yeah, it definitely seems good with Oblivion Sower. And, I mean, as far as the Tron thing, this really isn't any different than Sowing Salt. Like, it's slightly better and easier to cast, but I think if this was going to be the death of Tron, then Sowing Salt already would be the death of Tron. And apparently it's not, because it's been legal in Modern as long as Tron has been played in Modern. So. Yep. Yeah. And I don't think you need eight versions of Sowing Salt to take down Tron. So, I mean, uh, I think it'll survive with it around. It'll be utilized in Tron to, in the mirror, because again, the Ancient Stirrings uh, synergy there. But yeah, uh, in Standard, I mean, this seems like, you know, nail a, a, Zenland or a uh, a Manland, and then you Oblivion Sower. Oh, this seems like the the card that made Oblivion Sower seem a lot better. Do you think that's playable though? Do you think people will actually play this? Crumble to dust. In standard. I I think so. Yeah, I think there's gonna I, be. If if you listen to uh, Michael Flores and Patrick Chapin. There's going to be a lot of three-color decks. There's going to be a lot of greedy mana bases. I wouldn't say greedy, but there's going to be a lot of non-basic lands, uh, enough for this to be uh, relevant. But four mana Stone Rain? That, that seems like really well, bad. Well, it's not really... I mean, 
You can't well, you can't color skew someone, right? Like they, if they're playing like there's enough. Well, is there enough actually? Can you actually call? Will people just play all fetches and like four slow lands and like that's it? I would think in standard there there'd be enough other lands around that you can't just mana screw someone with the crumble the dust. Well, you know sometimes you have to kind of look at what's around the card. I mean, this doesn't seem like so amazing that like you're gonna start jamming this into a standard deck. I mean, people were playing Reclamation Sage, and that's not really a good card on its own. I mean, it, it was a main deck card just because. You know, it could do a certain things in that metagame, like kill Corsair or whatever. This, since we're kind of entering a standard where you're going to be playing three colors more often than not, this is going to be serviceable because, I mean, this is basically, use this now, play your Oblivion Sower one to two turns later, game four lands. So, I mean, I think that's pretty good. I think that's worth including if you're going to play Oblivion Sower. I, I see this as a sideboard card. I think if you're playing a deck that is going to struggle against man lands or something along those lines, then this is a good card. Like, it can get rid of Lumbering Falls, which is actually kind of annoying since it has Hexproof. So things like that, I think, is where this will see play is out of the sideboard. I can't imagine this being, like, a four-of main deck card in standard. I mean, I'm just kind of envisioning, like, play this, play Oblivion Sour, play Uwamon. So it's like, you just lost a land, you play Oblivion Sower, I get four lands, now I'm at Ulamog mana, nail two more lands, or something. Maybe, to me, a more interesting question is, will this card impact the way people build their mana bases? Like, are you more likely to play two of something instead of four because you're worried about your opponent casting this? Right, That's, that's a real interesting perspective on it, too. Because you don't want to get blown out. Right, and getting four lands pulled out of your deck, that drastically reduces, like, your ratio of spells to lands and can lead to you getting, like, mana screwed. Like, that's a lot of lands to not be able to draw over the course of the game. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it seems good enough in that context where, you know, you play something in the first couple of turns, you have this as, as like, almost a pseudo-ramp and hate card at the same time because of Oblivion Sower, specifically... And then now you have, like, ten lands for Ulamog or something like that, or something else like Crazy Atarka, something else. And, you know, this is not really a dead card because you're kind of removing a land right on the spot, which isn't totally, uh, like, I'm not super excited about that, but it does blow up a land. Maybe, you know, they're not sitting on that fourth or fifth land uh, that they needed, and... Yeah, then you get to blow them out with Oblivion Sower. So I guess in in conjunction with Oblivion Sower, that does sound pretty sweet. Let me I'll change what I said. I think I don't think this will just see play because it's a good card that you're gonna play because you want to sewing salt someone's lands. If the synerg- if people are playing Oblivion Sower and that synergy is there, then that does seem actually really sweet, like what you're describing. Right. So yeah. So in the, in that specific deck, I think you might be right, but I don't think you just like oh, I'm playing Jeskai Tempo, I'm no, going to jam four no. of these because it's such a good card, like a Siege Rhino or something. You can live the dream and cast Oblivion Sower afterwards, and it's going to be sweet, but other than that, I don't know if I want to be stone-raining people. 
Unless I'm playing Mono Red, but even then, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm gonna get to four mana on Mono Red to <laughs> no. Kind of stone rage no, someone. this is this is a specific role player. Yeah. Like I'm not. That's the only reason I'm evaluating this. Yeah, you have maybe like some fringe play in modern or something like that, but this is the enabler that Oblivion Sower needed. And quite frankly, I mean, Oblivion Sower was one of the first mythics we got to see because of the the dual deck. And I gotta say, like. I, I've seen a lot, we've we've seen more mythic spoiled, Dragon Master Outcast. I mean, I don't I don't have any words on that, but uh, I'm still very excited. That, that's the mythic that still excites me the most is Oblivion Sower. It's the most uh, it's the most playable, that's for sure, and it does more things than yeah, okay, the Planeswalkers, those are fine too, but I mean. This just seems really good with Oblivion Sower. I don't know. I'm I'm directly tying this to Oblivion Sower. So yeah, I can see that. I I can see it in that context and see that it could be pretty sweet. Yeah. So. And I understand like people are oh that's like a cute thing like yeah that's not gonna work a lot of the times. But I mean if it wasn't like totally a dead card, I'd agree. Like if we were in a standard where you know not many people play non basics, okay. But I mean we're entering a Standard that I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of non-basics. So. Uh, it's going to get something. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, from Beyond, three and a green. It's an enchantment, and it's devoid. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a 1-1 one, one colorless Eldrazi Scion creature onto the battlefield. It has sacrificed this creature, add one to your mana pool. And you can pay one and a green to sacrifice from the Beyond. And uh, search your library for an Eldrazi card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. What do you guys think? I'll let so you go first, Seth. So, in some ways, this reminds me of an expensive Bitter Blossom. Uh, maybe, probably the best comparison is Awakening Zone, which made a 0-1 Eldrazi spawn token. These, this is actually making a 1-1 token, which is extremely more efficient and better than making a 0-1. I think this card is really sweet. Like, I'm not sure where it fits exactly, uh, but the ability to just make a 1-1 for free every turn, and it's a 1-1 that you can sack to make mana if you need to, and sacking is also just an awesome ability. Maybe I've been uh, playing too much Mortipod lately, but being able to <laughs> block, block something with lifelink and sack it before the damage happens is, like, actually relevant. Um, and then being able to tutor for an Eldrazi for only two mana after you already have this on the battlefield, I think this is a really good card. I just don't know what its home is. I agree with you. I, I really do agree with you. Uh, we were kind of hoping we would get something like uh, Awakening Zone, and yeah, Seth, I, I couldn't have said it any better. This is a lot better than Awakening Zone in that context where we're getting a 1-1, one, one, uh, which is a lot. It, it speaks volumes because it's, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. Uh, having 1-1s one, instead of 0-1s oh, that also give you mana. I mean, we, we found the case for uh, sort of the Animist, and Ghostfire Blades, so this definitely seems like something that caters to those cards, for sure. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I think I agree with you guys. It's it's a strong card, and I don't know where it'll fit. I can see it as like just a control finisher. You just you just plop it down, and uh, the one ones help you stabilize, and eventually uh, they'll get you there. It's it's kind of like a really bad Elspeth, but it's at four mana. 
Um, like, I could see it being played without even the second part being relevant. Uh, like, just bad Bitter Blossom, as Seth said. But uh, it's going to depend on how the metagame shapes up, this, you know, whether or not this is actually good enough. But it's definitely very interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see if people use this as the main way of casting Eldrazi or not. I, I don't know if we're going to get uh, better ramp. I know people have been asking for a rampant growth or something. Um, but maybe this is the best we're going to get. And this is how you're actually supposed to legitimately cast your Eldrazi instead of cheating them into play. Yeah. It, we've seen that certain four mana enchantments that make one ones, uh, <laughs> to not name, uh, specific cards, you know. Uh, so we've, we, we know that four mana token producing cards have been successful. And, uh, you don't need an artifact to make one one Eldrazi Scion. So that, there's that going for it. Um, but what do you think, Richard? Does this, like, enable a better version of, like, like a call blade, maybe something like that, like then then the the Thopter Spy Network kind of decks where you know this is because the Sword of Animus is still in addition to helping you ramp also. So I don't know. The the problem is if you're playing a control deck, like you don't want two cards as your finisher. Right? That's like, true. Like this has to be the finisher. <laughs> like you're not going to pair it with an Eldrazi, right? So that's why it's a little awkward because most of the time you just want like a handful of finishers in your deck. Or better yet, just have lands, which I imagine we're going to get some control variant that plays zero creatures and just finishes you with man lands, the standard. So it's a little awkward in that sense. I think it'd fit more naturally into a ramp deck um, where you're actually trying to ramp really quickly. And this is part of your block some mono red creatures and then later ramp into your Eldrazi. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. All right. So... Uh, we have an ally land here. It's ally encampment. It's a rare land. You can tap it to add one colorless to your mana pool. You can tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast an ally spell. And then one colorless, tap it, sacrifice ally encampment. Return target ally you control to its owner's hand. So mana fixing for allies, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, Seth, go ahead. Uh, well, this is basically Sliverhive, uh, but for allies, like very similar as far as uh, how the card actually is formatted. I this is, to me is uh, in standard is a hundred percent dependent on how good allies will be. Honestly, I'm not sure. We'll see what commons and uncommons pop up, but just based on the rares, I'm not sure there's an ally tribal deck in standard. Where this card is exciting is in Modern, where Five Color Allies is kind of this Tier 2 deck that's been getting some hype lately, that's playing, like, Cavern of Souls and, uh, like, a suboptimal Five Color lands to be able to support their mana base. And I think this slots right in next to Cavern of Souls in the Modern Ally deck. Uh, whether or not that deck will ever be Tier 1.5 remains to be seen, but I think it'll definitely see playing Modern in that build. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If if you had any optimism that allies will start becoming more viable and modern, this is definitely a step in the right direction. Having this kind of land in the tribal deck list is usually pointing to the more playable, uh, that tribe becoming more playable. Um, still merfolk. I mean, well, it's nice that they're one color, but, uh, 
every other tribe, even slivers that we've seen recently, has their kind of second color fixing land. So now that Allies has one of them, I'm it's the the needle's definitely pointing up on Allies and in, in becoming a thing in modern. So yeah, I, don't know if I agree with you guys. I mean, I, I if there's an Ally deck, this will see play. But right. I don't that's think what, this well, will push it over the top or even push it in any direction. Like, you could just play mo- uh, Mana Confluence or something right now if you really needed uh, mana fixing, right? So I, I don't think the fixing part will be the important part. It's the sacrifice and return an ally, which I don't even know is relevant enough. So it's like a slight upgrade to me. And I think what will push allies into Tier 1 is if they print better allies. Um, but, you know, if allies become a thing in modern, you'll definitely just put this in your deck. But I don't see it pushing, you know, allies to be any better or anything. It's just like a slight upgrade. Yeah. I mean, we have one. We have the veteran war leader. That's decent enough, I think, for modern. Was that yeah, enough to make, make it a better No, no, well, I'm just saying, like... Merfolk or something? No, but I, I, I think it's definitely taking steps towards being more viable than it is now than taking, you know, steps away from it. I mean, yeah, it is a slight upgrade, but it is an upgrade. I mean, it is good to have this in your mana base. The the ability, like you said, Richard, uh, is a little more important than the mana fixing. I do agree. Uh, and it's good. I mean, it's not what you, you get a second ally activation if you need it or something. I mean, it's, it's definitely, going towards being maybe not even tier one, but definitely like you said, Seth, maybe like a tier 1.5 or something like that. Yeah. And the ability is actually really awesome for allies because you want to be able to trigger all their enter the battlefield abilities. So being able to bounce a hot, free blade or something for one mana and recast it and trigger all of your allies can actually be like game winning, depending on what you have on the battlefield. Right. So with this and Veteran War Leader, no, I don't think that's enough to push it over the edge. But, I mean, we've seen it do some things even without them, so without these two cards. So, I mean, this could only make it better. Can't see it making it worse. Yeah, this might just yeah. be one of those cases where people just start looking at allies and then they tune it and it just becomes better from having more eyes on it rather than, like... You know, cards right, make yeah. more powerful. It's like when people first discovered Delver, like no cards actually changed, right? They're just like, oh, look, and like people started paying attention and tuning the deck. So yeah, so maybe allies will actually get there. It's, it's gonna really depend on the one and two drops if if we actually yeah, get any Delvers in the car. I do agree. Yeah, and now we have like thirty different Delver decks. So it's like <laughs> the the insect aberration ally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we have one more that you kind of wanted to more touch on this, Richard, because there hasn't been a debate on this Yeah, I've card. seen a lot of debate on this card, so I want to talk about Woodland Woodland Wanderer. So <laughs> it's three and a green. It's a 2-2. Two, two. Creature elemental with vigilance and trample. And it has converged. So Woodland Wanderer enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each color of mana spent to cast it. Um, so, if you live the dream and cast it for uh, four different colors of mana, you get a 6-6 Vigilance Trample for four mana. Uh, realistically, you'll probably cast it for three different colors or two different colors, putting it at a 4-4 or a 5-5. Five five. Uh, is this card playable? A lot of people are high on it, but I've seen a lot of arguments 
that a four mana five five that dies to Doom Blade is no longer good enough. What do you guys think? Well, didn't LSV pose that question one time? Like, is it is was I can't remember the exact casting cost, like eight generic or ten generic or something like that for a fifteen fifteen vanilla creature? Would that ever like ever be good? So I think like along that you know line of thinking. I mean, there's this is a lot of work. Not maybe a lot of work, but you're right, Richard. On average, it's going to be a four four. 5-5, five, five. I mean, no ability, does have Vigilance, it does have Trample, so it doesn't get chumped, which is nice. But I mean, you know, looking at other four mana creatures, Siege Rhino, Pelucranos, just recent, more recent ones, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know where this even fits in. Like, what what deck wants a maybe 5-5 five, five, or maybe 4-4 four, four with Vigilance and Trample? Well, like, I mean... If you're going to play a four-converted mana cost green creature that takes three colors of mana, why would you ever even think of playing this over Siege Rhino? Because it maybe can get one more toughness or two two more power. And in the best-case scenario, over a really powerful enter-the-battlefield ability? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're going to play a a green creature that costs three mana in the four-drop slot, it's got to be Siege Rhino. I don't think this card is playable at all. Yeah, I, I was thinking of that uh, that deck list, like the Kenyuki Hero one. I keep going back to this because I think this deck list is actually could be pretty good come standard. The plus one plus one counter hardened scales deck list, and like, I like even in that deck list, like yeah, you give this plus one plus one counter as it has trample and all that, but like for four mana, I'm playing green red white. Why don't I just play like Gideon or something like that? Like just something in a four drop that's just going to do better stuff well, than just like I've a play- generic guy. And I've played against the Hardened Scales deck a few times on Magic Online, and that deck really wants creatures that repeatedly get a counter. Like, this right. getting one, one more counter when you cast it really doesn't move the needle for me. I think you want, like, Mana Gorge or Hydra and Hangerback Walker, where every turn it's getting two counters instead of one. Like, just going from a 4-4 four, four to a 5-5, five, five, that doesn't really appeal to me with hardened scales. So there, there it is. This card sucks. Bulk. <laughs> I agree with you guys. But I, I was actually quite surprised that a lot of people thought it was really good. But, no, and uh, y- yeah, someone posted a list on Reddit of all of the four mana creatures that died to Doomblade that have seen play in the last two years. And it was a very short list, and it was like <laughs> Desecration Demon, Pelucranos, and like you know that's it, right? And I think that LSV thing was like four mana seven seven or eight eight wouldn't be playable, right? And yeah, I understand, like, why these discussions happen, and, like, if there was something more compelling about this creature that, like, yeah, okay, a lot of stuff dies to removal, I get that. Like, we were just talking last cast about the Undergrowth Champion, like, that dies to a Doomblade, but it has something at least going for it. Like, this is just, like, a generic monster. Like, it could even just still die in combat. Like, at least Undergrowth Champion, like, has something... So else. Yeah. I'm waiting for the day that we get the four mana six six green common. That that's got to be coming soon, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, just to briefly touch on this one spoiler, I, I really like endless one, uh, especially in that that hardened scales deck list uh, that you have been playing against, Seth. Wait, uh, it, I don't. It's not that good in hardened scales, right? Because it just gets uh, it only gets one. It's not doubling season, right? 
right. not, well, it's, well, it's so X. Four mana, I mean, so... four mana, you get a 5-5 five, five with Hardened Scales out, right? Yeah, which is not terrible. Right. Mm, no, I mean, it's fine. But, I mean, how much better is that than not playing Hardened Scales and having a 4-4? Four, four? Eh? Yeah, well, the thing is, is I, I just think it could replace maybe one creature. And this is like, it, it can maybe fit in that deck on the premise that it could be any mana... Like any on curve spot you need it to be, and then it works with hardened scales or like Citadel Siege or something like that. I don't know. It's not. Yeah. I, I don't like the pre order price. What was, for what sure, was that Hydra? Mistcutter Hydra. Kind of similar, except that was yeah. a creature where it fits on any spot in the curve, but it also had haste and pro blue. Yeah. Ah, uh, I don't know. This is like well, a crazy inter- draft card, though. Well, yeah. this gives. Every color a grizzly bear. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Like that isn't something we've seen before, is it? Like every creature, every color has a two-two for two and a three-three for three, and no. a four-four for four. Like that's no. in some colors, that's kind of a big deal. Like blue doesn't get those creatures normally at, at those rates. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if it sees play anywhere. Yeah, like I'm waiting for the Arcbound Ravager type card, then... You're not getting it. Then all of a sudden, these plus one, plus one counter cards become very exciting, right? Or if we actually get a legit doubling season, then it becomes very exciting. Yeah. It's but. it's just interesting. You you mentioned there's not really anything that's even drumming up conversation about legacy playable. Uh, Seth, you brought up, like, is there anything even, like, modern playable so far? I, I don't even know. I mean, the lands obviously are, but right. non-land cards, I, I'm i not sure. Like, I think it's kind of a stretch to... I mean, there's nothing that's obviously modern playable uh, from my perspective. To be honest, I mean, I think even the the these new batch of man lands might be even be in a stretch uh, to be included. I mean, Abzan, I mean, just looking at Shambling Vent, Abzan already has, you mentioned this, Richard, like Treetop Village and... Raging Ravine, does it really need, like, another one? Like, those two are really good already. Yeah, The Hexproof I mean, one know. might see play. The problem yeah, is they've used the good ones. Unblockable and Flying. Those are the actual good <laughs> ones, right? And yeah. Trample, I guess, right? Those are the three abilities, and they're all used up. So now we're going to get crap like Vigilance, Lifelink, and, you know, whatever, right? Like, they're not yeah. as important. So the last one is, like, Hexproof, right? So Hexproof, right. so maybe Lumbering Falls will see play, but it's still just a 3-3, like, can't get by a goif, so it's a bit tough. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Now that I think about it, these enemy man lands have me kind of sad. Like, all the good abilities are gone. <laughs> yeah, and we're only getting, like, three this time and then three the next time or something like that? I don't know. They're splitting them up. Three and two, I think, yeah. Three, three and two. two. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, with that, um, let's do some price talk. Uh, so we're not going to do – so Richard uh, has very graciously put up the – just the battle for Zendikar tag makes things so much easier. I mean, Richard, this is fantastic, I have to admit, having this on the site. Uh, so just the battle for Zendikar uh, price movement. I think we're going to talk about that a little more. Uh, we'll leave the other price movement for another cast, but uh, just so we stay pertinent spoilers and all that and you had this for the magic origin so this is really helpful stuff so why don't you break it down for us Seth? 
All right, so looking at the weekly change for Battle for Zendikar, the big winners are Omnath, Locus of Rage, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, Kiora, Master of Depths, and Bring to Light. Oh, my. Uh, What's <laughs> <laughs> not Bring to Light? People heard last cast, and they agreed with our arguments. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I guess so. That Great. card's awesome. Uh, still awesome. Um, the rest of the winners are actually kind of random uncommons and basic lands, so I don't really know if they matter to our discussion, but they're uh, Grove Tender Druids, Hedron Archive, or Hedron Archive, Mountain Island, Oren Reef Hydra, and Forest. Well, they are all the Noah Bradley uh, art lands, so I, I can understand why I, <laughs> they're I, increasing. I was looking at those basics, and I think he has, maybe in every basic land, I think I like his the best. There might be one where it's not, but his lands are amazing. Like, yeah, so good. his lands are really good, yeah. Oh, uh, so I can, by, I can agree. By the way, the Bowl Island is back. Oh, God. So <laughs> that was announced this week. I was so happy. So uh, more Bowl Islands. Uh, anyway, back to That, back that to has Christ to Luke. mean, like, on a on a more meta level that, you know, it was agreed upon that the Bull Island was the best. That has to that has to be like the reason it's back. Yeah, I would magic users so. were pulled, and people like the Bull Island apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, they brought back one one of the originals back, and it was the Bull Island. So Seth is right on this one, I guess. It has hey, to be I that. Got, I know my islands. Seth starting the uh, magic art series on Goldfish soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Alright, uh. alright. Losers. Uh, losers from Battle for Zendikar. Uh, oh, man. Akum? Is that how you say that? Ak- Akum? Yeah, we'll just say Akum. Yeah. Akum Hellkite. Zada Hedron Grinder. Smothering Abomination. Uh, Green Warden of... Um, Masara, Marasa, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, Felder Sovereign, Obnixus Reignited, Lumbering Falls, Ma- Manda Ambush Leader. Yeah. Uh, and... This is this is brought to you by Hooked on Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Reading rainbows on uh, on Netflix these days. <laughs> and uh, I might have to check that out when we're uh, done casting. And that uh, Smoldering Marsh. <laughs> Smoldering Marsh. I think I got that one right. You got you get we did it. You got it. So I think um, I'm batting like four hundred. Four out of no, ten. Yeah, I got right. Yeah, you're, you're doing our you're doing fine. Uh, <laughs> um Okay, so analyzing these um I like Omnath. I think uh I, I can understand why uh his stock is rising. You know, maybe it might not be as good as a Tarka, we'll see, but I mean one fetch land, and this is, like, a lot of crap to start, like, a lot of stuff to deal with. So, I can understand that. Gideon, probably looking like the best Planeswalker out of the set, so that's not surprising. Kyura, looking pretty good, too. Uh, I guess Bring the Light, sure, people want to test with it or see if it's real in Modern or something like that. I don't know what the deal is with Oan Reap Hydra. Seems like a decent casual Hydra card, and yeah, like I said, the 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 basics. Uh, Noah Bradley killed it on these basics. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? 
Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is Omnath people are high on. I think it was just like it was like six bucks or something. Like it seemed very low considering how many people in EDH want to play with it and right. its standard potential. And then people have come down on Ulamog. Uh, Ulamog's been dropping. Um, Which is no surprise. And then the other cards are like, yeah, like a Coom Hellkite, like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you, yeah. So one that's been surprising me, sorry, what, go ahead actually, Seth, first. Uh, no, I mean, I think you guys are right. I, I have a hard time saying too much at this early stage in the game. Like a lot of the decreasing prices are just because things were overpriced at the beginning, like when vendors first listed them. Obviously, people like the Planeswalkers and Omnath, that much is clear. And Bring to Light is awesome, as I told everyone last week. That card's going to be broken. I'm sticking by it. I I guess so. Sure. Trust me on this one, Chaz. (laughs) Have I ever led you astray before? Absolutely not. Predictions. No. No, you've you've been right every set. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely right. Every every time, I never miss. Except on um, Jace and uh, Ojutai. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, man. I was wrong, too, on those. Not Ojutai. I'm actually, you know what? I'm not wrong on Ojutai. That's you. <laughs> yeah, I, I I made you wrong on Ojutai. Right. We had I'll, a, I'll, a long conversation, and I talked you out of buying it at $5. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I will stand firm, and I was not high on Jace. But, yeah, we digress. <laughs> Omnath. I just yeah I don't know if like it seems like it could it could hold a price I don't see this being like a bulk mythic uh, so maybe it just like fluctuates around three to four dollars maybe five bucks but um, you know it has upside in the fact that if it is better than Atarka we've seen a large price uh, hike on Atarka I don't know really what the cap is with these expeditions I mean I seem like a broken record with these expeditions at this point but I mean, like I said, uh, one land, like one fetch land makes this insane. Uh, that's a lot of power and a lot of damage uh, tacked onto them for not really a big investment. So I can totally understand. Um, all that other stuff, yeah, you're right, Richard, like, who really cares about Akum Hellkite or whatever. Um, one that did interest me is the, the Zada Hedron Grinder. A lot of people really like that card and... I mean, I understand, so I can, I, I guess maybe it's going down for a reason. It's really, like, it's a good card, but not an amazing card, so. Yeah, I mean, starting off, it's down to 384, and that's a 38% decrease, so it must have been, like, five or six bucks at its uh, peak. That's a lot for a rare from this set, and Zada isn't obviously, like, a staple in anything, so. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, that kind of just wraps up the, the price movement. We will continue to, uh, monitor that, uh, as the, as more cards get released and throughout, uh, its release, uh, on this cast. So, uh, let's, let's answer the, the fish mail questions and I think that will wrap up the, uh, episode. All right. Let me, let me dig out the fish mail here. So we have two questions from Ben Lopilato on Twitter, uh, who actually emailed me and put his Twitter handle there. Interesting. Uh, do you think that making Battle for Zendikar too good would set too high standards for the second set Oath of the Gate Watch? 
could have such a negative impact as to drop the value of the second set. Wizard seems to be putting a lot of value in Battle for Zendikar. The thing is, there's still expeditions in the upcoming set, in uh, Gatewatch, so I think that alone is going to hype the set, so I'm not too worried about it, solely because of that. If we had expeditions in Battle for Zendikar, and there weren't expeditions uh, in the second set, then I could see there being a good argument that all the hype and excitement would be used up uh, on the first set. Yeah, I don't, you know, even if one had expeditions and one didn't and and all that, I mean, it's not like, I mean, the game's been around for how long? I mean, they haven't needed expeditions to sell a set before, so, I mean, if there's if there's good cards in a set, there's good cards in a set, whether there's expeditions or not. So, I don't think them making Battle for Zendikar too good would have made Over the Gate Watch bad, Unless there was just bad cars in Oath of the Gatewatch. So, I, I think it's like any other set. I mean, I understand there is the expeditions. You make a really good point, Seth, and you don't want to, like, discount them. But at the same time, you kind of just want to, like, put them to the side. Because, like, if Battle for Zendikar was bad, and it's looking like it's not going to be terrible, it's not bad, I don't think. But if it was bad and it still had expeditions, I mean, it's still a bad set. But people still buy it. That's the difference. Right. If it was a bad set well, with no expeditions, then no one would buy it. But Well, yeah. But that's been going on for years. But to Seth's point about the expeditions, we have the Fetchlands, we have the Shocklands, we have the Slowlands. What's left for the next set? Right? Like, What are they going to do? Like, Why would I uh, care about the expeditions of the next set? Like, Are we uh, really going to see Wasteland sitting in there? Like, That's the only logical thing, unless they introduce a new cycle that's somehow better than fetches and shocks, right? Um, I mean, you stuff like the filter lands and stuff like that, but yeah, I understand. That's like, not they, like they've used all of their has... good lands in expedition, right. aside from like, you know, the Caracas and libraries and stuff like that. You know, tabernacles I... and whatever, right? <laughs> These are rare enough, and being purely for collectors and pimpers, I think that we could reasonably see them put Wastelands in Caracas in cards like that, like non-reserve lists, but really powerful playable cards, and just have it kind of be more random. They have used all the best cycles in this set that are on the reserve list, but they have by no means used all the best lands. There's a ton of powerful one-of lands that could be reprinted as expeditions. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, I would be excited for that. <laughs> New yeah. Wastelands? Oh, yeah. That would yeah. be pretty, that would be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it, so you look at it at that point and you look at it also the point that, you know, we've been playing the game for years. Bad sets don't sell, good sets don't sell, or do sell rather. And Expedition's like, yeah, it's an added bonus, but bad sets just still don't. Like, how much are you going to spend on an Expedition if the set's just terrible? You know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's true. Although, like, the Expedition's, they put this floor on the value of the set. Like, it's hard to have a truly bad, like, Dragon Maze-type set as far as value just because the expeditions are there. So if the expeditions right. are halfway decent, like, the boxes and the opening packs is going to be exciting and worthwhile just because of the expeditions, where that's not necessarily true of, like, Dragon's Maze or uh, some of the other third sets we've seen recently. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're going to have to commission some artists. I don't know what they're going to do about the lands for the next set. Like, how are you going to compete with full art lands? 
<laughs> you're gonna need like some John Avonlands or something <laughs> to, to to stand a chance against the uh, the full art lands from Balfour's Endergar. So it'll be interesting to see how Wizards uh, gets out from under this. Um, so Ben Ashley had a second question. Uh, do you ever think Twin might be banned in Modern? It seems a bit like Birthing Pod. It keeps getting into the top eights of GPs and Pro Tours. No, it won't be banned. Yes, I think it. I'm not saying it will be, but I think it could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but I don't think. I it, mean, that's the like, exact exactly the type of card that they could ban before a pro tour to really throw a wrench in the format and give the pros something fresh to play with, just like the birthing pod ban. Like, if they really want to shake things up for a pro tour, is there a better card to ban than Splinter Twin? No, but I mean it's. It's a good deck. I mean, that's just really it. Like, if they ban Splinter Twin, are we just getting to a modern like where they just ban good decks? I mean, it's not like Splinter Twin is just spiking every single tournament. But well, what I mean, would you ban banning... to shake up the metagame, though, right? Like, so the next modern pro tour, they got to ban something. But they... why? Oh, it's gonna be the exact same thing. Do you think? And that's what, and they always do. Like, well, that's I mean, been the... yeah. I guess well, Bloodbait Elf could come back. Yeah, it, it, why is it, 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 it could be an unban, or it could just be like there's more cards in the pool from new sets that, you know, maybe it's just different because of that. I don't know. It's modern, like, you know, you don't always have to ban something. I understand, like, it's still in its infancy, sort of, and you need to mold it a little bit more. But, I mean, then why would you be printing cards like Hallowed Moonlight and stuff like that? I just... well. They're printing, like, hosers, and then you just ban Twin anyway? Seems but, I like, mean, all right, I guess. But they they have already shown that they'll ban cards just because a deck is good. I mean, Jund is the definition of a fair deck, and that's been targeted three times by bannings, like, over the course of Modern's history. So they will yeah, ban and, a fair decks just because they're too good or, like, whatever. Right. Well, that's different. I mean, Jund is still around. It just was, like too powerful because of Bloodbraid Elf, and they kind of took that away, and it's still around. Like, Birthing Pod is a deck that is no longer a deck because Birthing Pod's gone. Splinter Twin won't be a deck anymore. Well, I mean... It's not like they... Is that even true, though? Because, like, they're to the point with Twin where uh, some portion of the time they board out the combo anyway and just play, like, blue-red tempo control with, like, Karanos and Jace and uh, the Lighthouses and Cryptics and... Like, would it really not be a deck? Obviously, it wouldn't be a combo deck, but I think that, like, just like we see the Anafenza's company, like, combo based off of the same archetype as Birthing Pod, I think the the idea of the deck would survive without Twin. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm not I'm not totally, disre- like, saying they could never ban it. I don't think they will, but it's possible. So I actually have a tangent question for you guys. Like, do you think they need to shake up the metagame? Would you be content with the same, you know, top three decks just battling it out? Would you get bored of the format? Like, you know how kind of standard, like, two months in when all the decks are kind of solidified, it kind of gets boring. Like, everyone knows all the lines and they know what you need to do and the matches get boring, but standard rotates, so it's fine. Um, Where the opposite spectrum is, like, Legacy, where you could jam the same two decks for like a year and you'll still be learning new things. Like do you think modern is more like legacy in that regard or more like standard where they actually need to shake it up? Modern's never gonna be like legacy in that regard. It's just 
Legacy is a totally different. It, it's the card pool is massive, so it's like even modern after a while, it's it'll end up like standard where you know you get a lot of the lines. Yeah, okay, you still have to like learn how to crack fetch lands at the right time and and all that. But I mean, Legacy's like twice, maybe yeah, it's like twice the size. We'll just go with that metric uh, of modern, and that's why you get the little nuances even more so than modern, and that really determines the game. But I mean. Is modern really that like two decks? I mean, there is a lot of decks in modern too. No, but if none of the new cards see any play, like let's say there's not that many new cards from Origins or Battle for Zendikar at the next Pro okay. Tour, what are they going to do to shake up the metagame? Like, so either they don't have to shake up the metagame and we'll just have the same Pro Tour again, or uh, they'll do something. And like Seth said, one of the easiest things is just ban Splinter Twin. Like you, you have like a quasi excuse there, like oh, you know, we want to put Ponder back in the format or something, so we gotta tone down these combo decks, and you know, like they could use that excuse about design space, similar to Birthing Pod, and they could just shake up the metagame completely like that. Right. Right. So uh, I, I mean, I, that's I, like a viable path for them. I don't know if they'll actually take it, um, or they could just be content and say we'll just have the same modern Pro Tour play out again. So here's here's the problem. Wizards wanted to get rid of the modern Pro Tour and have only standard Pro Tours, and standard Pro Tours always happen right after a new set release in a fresh format. That's what Wizard wants. That's excitement. That That's what I think they think viewers want. That's probably what their research shows. But the community forced them to leave a modern Pro Tour on the schedule. Like, there was a huge uproar when they got rid of it. So I think we've kind of done this to ourselves. I think wizards would like to manage modern more like legacy where they let problems take care of themselves as new cards enter the format. But because we made them keep a pro tour, they have to keep making that exciting and fresh because that's their premier event that they spend a ton of money on to market their game. So I think we make them keep shaking up the format because we made them keep the pro tour. That's a, that's a really good point. I totally agree. It's like we we want it, and then we also expect them to change it. Also, when they're they weren't really in a position to do it, but because we wanted it, now they're like damned if you do, damned if you don't, kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's how I see it. Yeah, I agree with that. Are you but saying I mean, people on the internet want their cake and eat it too? Yeah, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine that. Uh, one other thing though. They could also shake things up by unbanning, which would be my... If they're going to shake things up, I would prefer to see Jace or Bloodbraid Elf or those type of cards, uh, Ancestral Visions, get unbanned and have it shake up the format from the other side instead of taking more cards out of the format. Right, because, like, let's just say they do ban Splinter Twin. Like, what suddenly becomes really good that Splinter Twin's gone? It's just going to be, like, a bunch of Abzan and Jun mirrors, like, all over the place. Like, is that really that fun? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. You'd have to make a strong case. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to make the case right now. This is just like a totally different time to talk about it. Uh, but on the way out, like you would have to make a really strong case of what is Splinter Twin oppressing in the format. Like if if Splinter Twin is oppressing enough deck lists that are not seeing play because specifically Splinter Twin, then yeah, it deserves to go. But I mean, I'm still seeing like. Abzan, Jund, Affinity, Delver, Tron, Merfolk, Bloom Titan, all different variants of Burn, uh, Living End, 
company decks. So infect. So there's there's still a lot of different stuff. Yeah, no, I mean you're true. I you're right. I don't think that modern is necessarily in an unhealthy place at the moment. But I think like the other consideration is like the viewership and marketing aspect of it. And I just I don't know if Wizards thinks people want to tune in and watch a whole bunch of Twin Mirrors every Pro Tour from now until 2017. So yeah. like it it might be that consideration, not the actual game and unhealthiness of the meta or what is suppressing but the bigger picture of the marketing and like viewership of the game that could be the final nail in twins coffin. Yeah. And, and that's like a dangerous proposition too, you know, coming from that aspect. Cause then what are we really like, is that it? That's just going to be the game. Whatever people want to see on camera, we'll just ban it. And then that's it. But I mean, do you think pod would have gotten banned if it wasn't for the pro tour? Like, I mean, pod was also like, what, like, a really big chunk of the meta. It was there yeah. since like the beginning of modern and has been winning like ever since then, like nonstop. Like Splinter Twin is not like at that point. I don't think it's a good deck. I don't know if it's like completely dominating the format. I might have to research that and can, and actually like get some data on uh, Pod yeah. versus Twin and the numbers on it. I might do that this week. Yeah, if the numbers are similar, then I think the writing's on the wall. But I mean, it just seems, like, really crappy to just ban a card just because, like, viewership is down and we got to do something about it, you know? I just think it's it's odd. It's at very least suspicious that we always get major format-shaking bannings on the eve of the Pro Tour and usually no bannings or minimal bannings the rest of the year. So I think that they do definitely take into consideration the oh, Pro Tour. absolutely. Absolutely. That's 100% true. Yeah, so I think that we answered those questions very well. Uh, gentlemen, it was a really good cast. I, we nailed everything. So, uh, yeah, until the next cast, um, this is the crew signing out. See you all next week.